We're in the book of Joshua. We're at chapter 6. As we've uh, kept plowing through the uh, Old Testament here, we, we originally came back just to do a quick study on Genesis, but we haven't been able to leave since we got here. It's been kind of fun. It's great because you learn so many things uh, in the Old Testament which really set up who we are and why uh, our faith is affected the way that it is today because of what's gone before us and how God's plan was laid out and all come together. We are now in the book of Joshua. Now, the setting here is uh, Moses has brought the children of Israel finally to the edge of the promised land. After 40 years, their rebellious parents have all died off. Now, these guys are going in. I didn't do the math right last time, by the way. I said they'd, they'd be only 40 years old. No, they were 20 years and then 40. So the oldest of them is in, are in the 60s. So it's, a, it's not all an incredibly young group. Although, the closer I get to 60, the younger it sounds. So anyway, um, they're ready to go in to the, uh, take the promised land. Okay? And if you remember in uh, uh, Exodus... As Moses was given this, or not in Exodus, but uh, Deuteronomy, when Moses was given this huge speech and uh, speaking to them and reminding them of everything that God had done to them. He told them this, he says, remember, you're going into this land and you're getting all this, not because you're so righteous. It's not because you're so holy that uh, this is happening. Uh, He says, what's happening is God is bringing judgment on these people uh, and using you to do it. And thereby also fulfilling his promise to Abraham. It's all an interesting thing. So God is ready to bring serious judgment. We read bits and pieces of how wicked these people were. They were off the charts. I mean, you know, we're, we're talking uh, much worse than anything we've seen today. You know, we, we hear of nations and uh, justify wars like against guys like Saddam or something like that who are, you know, horrible tyrants and brutalizing their own people and da-da-da. Well... That's nothing compared to these people. These people were brutal. They were violent. They were sexually vile off the charts. Uh, They would sacrifice their own children to idols. These were heathens and pagans at their very, very worst. It was a morally corrupt, like you can't even get your head around, disgustingly corrupt. And God had had it up to here and was bringing judgment. And it was taking a while. They were about 40 years behind Schedule because of their stubbornness, the children of Israel. But now they're finally going in, and uh, and as we read this, it, it's it's almost disturbing. <laughs> well, it's not almost disturbing; it is disturbing. I mean, God told these guys to go in and kill everybody and everything, and you talk about the the judgment of God coming down on them. You say, why would God do that? Well, because they were so wicked. I mean, uh, and it's not the first time. I mean, God at one point flooded out the whole world. Because people had become so violent and so vile. Um, uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. God wiped out everybody in Sodom and Gomorrah. Because they were so wicked and so vile. Uh, at some point people become so depraved. And so uh, so evil. That God can no longer stand it. And then the judgment of God hits. And so uh, as they come into the promised land. He is giving them the promise. Fulfilling the promise he made to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Said I'm going to give you this land but also using them to bring great judgment and to clear out all this wickedness in these countries. So, they finally cross the Jordan River. They're ready to go in and take the first city, which is Jericho. Now, Jericho is, is a huge walled city. It's, it's like the Yo Mama city uh, in, in this land. And it's the first one they come up against. And it's, it's verse, verse, virtually, can't talk, virtually, uh, impen- impenetrable uh, at the max uh, you could try and starve them out but you couldn't breach these walls 
Um, and who knows how well supplied they were and how long they could have held out on a siege and stuff like that. Uh, it was a well-defended city. So God sends them into this uh, city to take it. And we pick it up at uh, Joshua chapter 6. Now remember, we just read about Rahab the prostitute who had taken in the spies and protected them and made them promise that they would keep her family safe when they came back and they agreed to that. So here we go, chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. In other words, they were uh, taking siege of the city. Nobody got in, nobody got out. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. And I, I love this. See, I have delivered. God often speaks, and I hope you notice how often he does this. He speaks in the past tense of something that hasn't happened yet. And uh, it seems a little bizarre. But you have to understand that time is of no limitation to God. When God says he has given you something, um, he's given it to you. And as far as God's concerned, it's past tense, even though it hasn't happened yet. Very strange concept for us. I get it. But even Jesus spoke this way. He said, when you, when you have faith in God and you pray, believe that you have received it and you will have it. Well, wait, wait a minute. What do you mean? I believe I have received it and then I will get it. I mean, it's just that when, when, when it becomes so sure that you know God has, has said it's going to happen, it's a done deal even though it hasn't happened yet. It's like, uh, you know, if... Uh, you know, you're in financial trouble or something like that, and you call me. Actually, don't do that, but <laughs> for the sake of analogy, let's say you call me. And I say, okay, great. Uh, I, 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 I sent you $1,000 in the mail. It's in the mail. You should be getting it in any day. Well, all of a sudden, you chill out. You relax. You think, oh, thank God. The money pastor's helping us out. He's giving us $1,000. Again, don't ask me to do that. But uh, sending us $1,000, you know, it's as if it's happened, even though you haven't gotten the check yet. But what happens? You immediately get into a role of, well, thank you. Thanks for helping me out. This is fabulous. This is great. Even though you don't have it yet. Okay? It's the same way in faith. It's like you come to God and you pray and you trust God. And at some point you break through. And, and you just know in your heart that by faith that the message is on the way. The answer is on the way. And you start praising and thanking God and celebrating the answer even though you don't have the answer yet. That's called faith. Very, very kind of odd to uh, uh, people who are very new at faith. But when God would go in and say, look, I've given you this, you know, it's, it's a done deal. Well, because as far as God's concerned, the check's in the mail. I mean, it's, you, you just haven't gotten it yet, but it's, it's, it's done. Okay? Um, it's, it's, it's amazing. So, um, we will hear him refer to this over and over again in those kinds of terms. So, he says, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. So, that's what I want you to do now. <laughs> Now you got to go out and get it. I have done it, but now you got to go get it. Uh, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of rams' horns in front of the ark, the ark of the covenant. You know the Indiana Jones thing, you know, uh, where the uh, uh, where they have the uh, elements from God, the Ten Commandments, and some other things that were inside the the ark of the covenant. Uh, so they're going to march around. They're going to carry the ark around the city seven times. Uh, or, I mean, for seven days. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people shout a loud shout, Yee-haw! and then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go in, every man straight in. <clears throat> so Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. 
And he ordered all the people, advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. It didn't actually follow them on its own. They were carrying it. Uh, the armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. And... Uh, just blowing and honking along. But it wasn't until on the seventh day when they hear the real long one where they're supposed to yell. <clears throat> so Joshua commanded the people, don't give a war cry. Don't raise your voices. Don't say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout! So here they are, very quiet, very disciplined. And you can imagine how creepy this is to the people who are in Jericho. I mean, they're freaked out anyway. The, the city's under siege. They're hoping they got enough provisions and that they'll wear out. And, but the walls are so big, they, they feel safe because they can't get in. <clears throat> but as they're looking out over the top of the walls, here's this huge army of these Israelites coming and they're marching. And no one's saying a word. And there's no shouting. I mean, you know, part of the whole war thing is, you know, guys shouting and getting themselves all you know, jazzed up to go fight and stuff. Well, here's these guys just quietly walking around the whole city with these guys blowing these horns. So they're going around, and when they get done, then they go back to where their camp was. And the next day, they'd come, and they'd march around again. I mean, it had to be very bizarre, very eerie to the guys in inside the city. What are they doing? I mean, it's a very, very odd thing. So, uh... Uh, so he had the Ark of the Covenant carried around the city, circling it once. Then the people returned to the camp and spent the night there. Well, Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the Ark of the Lord, seven priests carrying the seven trumpets. Anyway, blah, 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 just repeating the whole thing again, talking about how they did this. And they kept going around, once around for six days. On the seventh day, okay, now it doesn't say what day they started this. Um, it's kind of interesting that, you know, when it came to the uh, to the Sabbath, they weren't supposed to work or do anything. But apparently, during times of war, even that was okay to continue because on the seventh day, assuming they started on the first day of the week, now they're on the Sabbath. We don't know which day was actually the Sabbath, but uh, on the seventh day, that's when they they worked the hardest. Very very interesting. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city, this time seven times. Now the people are looking and say, what's the deal? Now they're going, again, very confusing, very disconcerting to the people inside. But it says in verse 16, the seventh time around, when the priest sounded, sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And I love this when he says back in the other verse, he says, when I tell you to shout, then shout. So these guys just... The seventh time around, let out this blood-curdling scream, which just had to terrify all the people in the city. But I'm sure, still again, they thought, well, thankfully we have these huge walls, which nobody can breach. So so he tells them to shout, and then he gives them the information uh, you know, of, of how to take the city. When, when they shout, he says, in verse 17, the city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. So, what that means is, typically when they would go in and they'd have these big battles, and they would destroy all the stuff, they would get the spoils of war. They would get all the cool stuff, and the fancy garments, and the gold, and the silver, and all that stuff was part of the plunder, which is, you know, the fun side, if you will, of these battles, which were quite brutal. 
and they would get all this plunder. But he says, going into the city, he says, all of it belongs to the Lord. Don't touch any of it. You know, we, we get all that stuff. You don't keep it for yourself. It belongs to God. The things that are devoted to the Lord. Uh, he says, only Rahab the prostitute. Remember, this is the lady that had protected the spies. Only her and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies that we sent. But keep away from the devoted things. All the stuff that's supposed to be to the Lord so that you will not bring about uh, your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of the Israelite liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. So he warns them, look, if you take any of this stuff, because God has commanded me to tell you, don't take any of it. Because why? We don't know why. It's just, you know, that's what God said to do. So don't do it. And if we disobey God, then you're going to bring trouble on all of us. So everybody be careful. All the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. This is what God spoke to him to do. So when the trumpet sounded, the people shouted and gave out this big war cry. And at the sound of the trumpet, when people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. Now, it's, it's fascinating, you know, this, this is a big historical event and, you know, uh, about Joshua and marching around and how the walls collapse. And every once in a while you'll see on some intellectual <coughs> history channel or something like that trying to understand what had happened. And they know that this was a battle. This was all by, by the way, there's all kinds of evidence that these guys came in. They know they came in and wiped out all these nations and took over. That's how the Israelites wound up in the Holy Land. They know those, there are these cities. They see the ruins of these cities, archaeologists and stuff like that. So they know what actually happened. Of course, they don't really believe God was with them. They don't really believe some of these miracles. And they try to explain how some of this had happened. And they come up with their theories that by marching around, rum, 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 you know, seven times or, or, or once every day for, for six days and then seven times, the, the final day, brum, 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 you know, that, that that's, that's what so shook the foundations and the wall collapsed. Well, first of all, they're assuming that's how they marched. These guys did not march in those ways. Their march was basically a, a disciplined walk around the thing. They weren't, brum, 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 you'll go around seven times. Uh, and the reason the wall broke down isn't because they created all this vibration in the ground. The reason the wall fell down is because God knocked it down uh, when he said to shout. And that's just the bottom line. So, uh, so that's what happened. God knocks down <clears throat> this wall. Uh, by the way, you've got to really hand it to the Israelites at this point. Because up to this point, everything God seemed to tell their parents to do in the wilderness, they wouldn't do. They were so disobedient. They were such a pain in the butt, these people. And as a result, you know, they had to stay in the desert for all these years. But now they're kids. They seem to get it. You know, this is a pretty disciplined thing. Remember, these are the guys... This is the nation, their parents. You know, every time there wasn't enough water, they got uncomfortable. Oh, I wish we were dead. I wish we were dead. Everything's horrible. It's horrible. Now, here these guys now are marching around in an uh, exercise which seems to the natural completely stupid. I mean, every day we've got to go out and who knows how big this city. I mean, this has got a bite, right? Walking around this city. Done. And then without saying a word, total discipline. And then the next day, we got to do it again. You can imagine by the seventh day when he says, okay, now we're going around seven times. You would think, certainly, there would be whining, complaining, belly aching, and the like. But none. They stayed disciplined. These guys were so much different than their parents. These guys got it right. 
They were committed to God. They were disciplined. They weren't whiners and complainers. Uh, Joshua led them with a strong hand and these guys followed in line. And, uh, and they experienced a, a great victory. By the way, the analogy for us is this. You know, sometimes in your life, some of you are facing some really difficult challenges. And uh, it's easy to become discouraged. But don't give up. The Bible says you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Why does Paul write like that? Because he knows us. He knows people. The nature of people is we'll give up. We'll march around the city once. Oh, maybe we'll march around twice. Maybe three or four times. But then, oh, this isn't working. This isn't working. This prayer stuff isn't working. This Bible stuff isn't working. I've asked God and I don't got my answer. Pastor, why is it taking so long? And we get discouraged and we give up. And then you don't get your answer. That's the analogy, right? You can imagine, finally, on the seventh day, going around seven times, about the fifth time, the sixth time, you're tired. you got to tell me we got to go around one other time. I mean, a lot of us would have been whining and complaining. We do in our own personal lives. God challenging us time to trust Him and to pray and to fast and seek His face and to hang in there and going around, round around, whatever battle is that you're fighting in your own life. Uh, don't give up is the analogy. Because you will reap a victory if you don't give up. And make no mistake, there are times uh, just like these guys, these battles these guys fought, they didn't come easily. It was hard work. You know, we often think, well, the promised land. God just give them the promised land. And and then we talk about in the New Testament as as believers, God has promised all these blessings and promised to answer our prayers and all this stuff. And we get discouraged because we assume promise means easy. Promise equals easy. He promised, therefore, it's just going to happen. And when it doesn't happen, we doubt the promise. We question the promises. Well, the Bible says this. I don't have that. Bible must not be true. God says this. I don't have that. God must not be true. Because it becomes hard for us. It becomes challenging for us. And we get ourselves in all kinds of trouble. You have to understand. This was hard work. Especially after a week of this nonsense. Doing it seven times in the one day. That just had to be such a drag. The sixth time, I'm ready to go, can we stop now? I'm getting dizzy. But they kept going. And after the seventh time, why seven times on the seventh day? I don't know. And neither does anybody else. It's just this is what God said to do, and they did it. And sometimes you just got to hang in there and keep doing the right things and keep trusting God without getting weary and giving up. So these guys go in, and finally on that seventh thing, and then... Now we're supposed to yell. And right before their eyes, the whole, the walls just come tumbling down. Now that had to be, (laughs) had to be cool. I really hope there's instant replay in heaven because I I would love to see some of this stuff. So after all that dancing around, man, all of a sudden, boom, the walls come down. Again, my encouragement to you, the lesson from this to you, don't give up in your life. Don't get discouraged when things just Go badly and and you're trying and you're working and it seems like it's not getting anywhere. Uh, It's very discouraging. I get it. We all struggle with this. You know, man, certainly in my own life, it's one of my greatest struggles because I want to change the world like by this afternoon. You know, let's let's do it. Let's take the city. You know, I'm certainly not uh, sitting around just content. You know, it'd be easy to say, well, hey, you know, we got... You know, probably the, one of the largest churches, if not the largest evangelical church in Green Bay. We got it made. Everything's great, you know. And 
I tell you, that is so far from our minds, I'm thinking, what do we got to do, Lord, what do we got to do to touch thousands of more people, to see just exponential growth and touching more hearts and lives? That's what I'm thinking, you know. And, and at times I get frustrated. You know, I've marched around three times now. How come this hasn't happened yet, you know? But I've just got to calm down and say, look, we just need to be faithful. We need to trust God. Uh, same thing with our ministry to couples all around the country, you know. I wish we could just change the world, boom, like this. You know, gee, we've been at this for a few years. How come the whole world hasn't changed? Hey, it takes time. It takes work. It takes effort. And to trust God. And there's challenges. There's rough days. There's days when it seems like everything you're trying to do is, and nothing's working. And where is God? Where is God? I mean, I'm sure these guys, you know, day five walking around, where's God? What? Nothing's changed. Nothing has changed. It's the same. And the seventh day, that had to be the worst. I'm telling you, round and round and round and round. Where is God? Nothing's happening. But don't give up. Don't give up. We need to hang in there. As long as we're being sensitive to God, listening for His Holy Spirit, being careful to make sure we don't have some sin that's causing His hand to stay away from us. If we just continue to serve Him and trust Him, we win. God does cool things. Walls come tumbling down. Wonderful advancements are made. Uh, And then we go into the next city, the next challenge in life. And it's the same thing. And each one looks different. But it takes energy. It takes effort. Even though God promised to him. And I love how God says, look, I've already given you the city. Well, (laughs) okay. If you've already given it to us, how come I got to walk around for seven days? It's just the way it is. God's given you. He's promised. As far as he's concerned, it's a done deal. The check is in the mail. It's coming. But we still have to stand in faith. We still have to do the right things. We still have to be consistent in our faith. Don't get discouraged. It is the one thing Satan tries to use more than anything to get people to give up. It's just he keeps resisting you and keeps resisting you. And and I'll tell you, when there's that resistance thing going on in your life and the devil's resisting against you and trying to keep God's blessings from your life... You know who's the most miserable in this thing? It's Satan. It's not you. As miserable as you are, he's really miserable. And he's fighting in there. And the pressures of God are coming against him. And and, uh, he's hoping against hope. He he will endure the pain and the struggle thinking, you'll give up if you just give up. You see? But when you hang in there and you don't give up, man, it becomes easier. I actually believe at some point in your life, a lot of these battles tend to become easier easier because you've established that you will not give up i think there's some people you know the devil just looks at him and just you know why why bother with this guy he's too stupid to stop you know he just keeps giving and 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 won't give up uh, there's like less resistance in your life i think some of you guys who've been saved for a long time know what i'm talking about if you've been growing in your faith some of the hardest battles you fought were early on those first cities that you took in your life where you went round and round and round. And round. Now, it's not nearly as much as of a challenge. Although from time to time, even we'll still have a major challenge in our lives. I think most of you will admit it gets easier. Why? Because you've established, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to stand in faith. And uh, these are the people who you look around and they seem to be more successful in their faith and more blessed. And they don't seem to have nearly as much static as sometimes the younger ones. So, so my biggest encouragement, especially to those of you who've been coming for a short amount of time, all this experience with God in your life and knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's kind of new for you. Uh, you're going to be up against some of the hardest struggles until you learn to hang in there. And our job as older believers is to encourage you in your lives. Don't give up. 
Hang in there. All right? I think I've made my point. Anyway, so, uh, verse 20. So when the trumpet sounded, the people shouted, and uh, when all the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in, and they took the city. So the wall come down. Yeah, they're going to go in and tackle this place. So uh, they devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing. Men and women, young and old, even the cattle, sheep, and donkeys. You say, why? Why do they kill everything? Young, old, everything? Why not just the guys? I'm telling you, it was the judgment of God and God told them to do this. And in fact, uh, you'll see in the Old Testament in some of these stories where they didn't kill everything that they're supposed to kill and uh, they got in trouble with God. But uh, these guys were being very obedient. They wiped out everything. And again, I mean, it's like instead of fire and brimstone falling down from heaven, God just sent them in with the sword. And... uh, it seems so brutal. I'm sure it had to be horribly brutal. Oh my gosh. But this was the judgment of God. Again, what Moses said. This is happening. Not because you're so holy. He says the fundamental drive behind God sending you into this place is because these people are so wicked. This is the judgment of God calling on them. So they do. They go in and they just wipe out everything. And Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go to the prostitute's house, Rahab. Remember you made this promise. And bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. Now I want you to understand something about this oath thing. When these people would swear to God that something would happen, they took this extremely seriously. We're going to see this a little bit later. Some some scenarios where you kind of, you know, who cares? You know, you got tricked into making a swear. You shouldn't have to uh, abide by it. But no, no, no. When they said, I swear to God. By the way, it's something Jesus taught us in the New Testament. The New, Te- the New Testament teaches us not to do. He said, you heard it of old. Make your oaths and swear to it by heaven and earth. Uh, I say to you, don't swear at all. Just let your yes be yes, your no be no. If you're going to do something, do it. If you're not, you're not. Uh, don't, you don't need to be swearing to God. You're going to get to church next Sunday. You don't need to swear to God. You know, because this condemnation comes. And James repeats what Jesus taught. That we as believers are not supposed to do that. Now there's people who disagree with that. Who think that's not what Jesus was talking about. And it means something else. That we should still swear to God. No. I think you're wrong. We shouldn't go there. But these guys did. And when they took it seriously. And God expected them to take it seriously. Because God took his name very, very holy. And he wasn't messing with these people. And, uh, and, And we will see. Sometimes some of the oddest things will happen. With one person gets out of line. And the whole nation pays the price for this. I mean these guys took it really, really seriously. So when these guys came back and said, listen. We met this prostitute. She she saved us, saved our lives while we were spying on the land. We swore to the to God that we will protect her. Well, everybody took it really seriously. So uh, Joshua says, "Listen, you go get that prostitute and her family. Make sure they're safe because you made this uh, vow to God in accordance with your oath to her." So verse 23. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and articles of bronze and and, and iron, all of the the spoils, into the treasury of the Lord's house. Okay, But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent to spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Well, not to this day, but when this was written. She was still alive when uh, this record was being written down in retrospect, this historical account. 
of what had happened. Uh, and as we talked about last time, if you look at the genealogy of Jesus, whoever marries Rahab the prostitute, she, she becomes a part of the, she converts to Judaism. Uh, this guy marries her. Uh, they have children, and it eventually becomes the line of the Messiah. So Jesus' great-great-great-great-great-grandmother was a hooker, for crying out loud. An amazing thing. What does that say to us? Redemption, man. Redemption. I mean, no matter how bad you've been, no matter how stupid you've been, no matter the mistakes you've made, if you will stop, repent, put your trust in God, He can use you. He can take some of the most beautiful, I mean, some of the most horrible and icky situations and turn it into something so beautiful it just blows your mind. And that's what happened with Rahab the prostitute. So anyway, so that, at that time Joshua pronounced the solemn oath. So he basically, uh, after this battle, curses this city. He said, cursed before the Lord is the man who undertakes to rebuild the city Jericho. He's basically saying, don't anyone ever try to rebuild the city. I mean, when these guys went in with the judgment of God, they wiped everything out. And uh, he puts this curse on anybody who tries to rebuild the city. At the cost of his firstborn son will he lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest will he set up its gates. So he puts this curse on the city for anybody who would try to rebuild it. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. Then, ta-da, chapter 7. Remember, they were supposed to take all the spoils and do this right. And so far they've been very disciplined. They've been, and God is with them and doing miracles. And they just took their first city. But there's always got to be one guy who screws that up, right? There's always somebody somewhere in the group who isn't playing by the rules. And it says here, chapter 7, verse 1. It says, but the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things, taking the spoils. They acted Unfaithfully, the Israelites. Actually, it was an Israelite. It wasn't the Israelites. But we will see. The reason why it says Israelites is because there was guilt by association. This one person disobeyed God, and because of it, the whole nation suffered. Now, this is a whole amazing concept, as, as we're going to get into here, as, as we look at spiritual things. So, one guy broke the rules and brought the curse of God on the whole nation. We're talking about Achan. Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them, some of these things, some of the gold and the nice stuff and some of the spoils, and he saw it, and he hid it, and he kept it for himself. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now this really, at some point, seems incredibly unfair, because, you know, everybody's doing everything right, and then one guy out of a huge nation of, of this whole army, one guy does something wrong and it brings trouble on the whole nation. Now this, this is a, <clears throat> it's a difficult thing to get your head around. But it does show the power of sin. And, uh, you know, uh, sin in the camp. There was sin in the camp here of the, of the army because of what one guy did. And uh, it, it certainly helps to explain sometimes why we don't see more of the power of God in churches. You know, we read, you know, stuff like this in the Old Testament. All these great miracles and stuff like that. And Jesus comes and does all these incredible miracles. And the book of Acts, the apostles go out and do all these incredible miracles. And you look around and say, gee, how come we don't see much of that anymore? I mean, there's still neat miracles. I mean, you know, we experience miracles and some great testimonies of people. God healed them of cancer or their financial situation turned around or whatever, you know. But still, in terms of like, yo mama kind of wow kind of stuff, how come we don't see more of that stuff? Why don't we see 
uh, more of the power of God in the church. And I believe it's because of this concept that we see here. Of, I mean, the church is so full of Achans. I mean, it's not one. Man, come on. The reality is churches everywhere are filled with people who are doing horrible things. Uh, sometimes it's the pastor doing horrible things. You read about it later. The guy turns out you know, to be having sex with three or five different women in the church or the guy's having sex with other guys or, or whatever. I mean, you know, every once in a while you hear about these kinds of things and, uh, you know, certain people in the congregation, sometimes elders are doing this. Uh, you know, people who claim to be people of faith are living in sin, committing adultery, all these kinds of things. And uh, make no mistake, that stuff tends to affect everybody. It seems grossly unfair that the behavior of one would affect so many but it, but it just does um, I don't think it's quite to the level here you know that's because we're about to see because of this one guy everybody suffered terribly as a result but remember we're living at a time Jesus said to whom much is given much is required I mean God is showing up he's doing miracles he's speaking to these people in audible voices da 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 you know you start messing up in that heavy consequences to whom much is given much is required so I don't think, you know, that kind of standard is so heavily on us because, you know, we don't have those kind of displays. Uh, if we did, you know, God have mercy on us because, again, to whom much is given, much is required. But I still think that to some point, uh, because the church is in such an unhealthy place today, when I say the church, <clears throat> I'm not specifically, boy, I'm having a hard time talking today, specifically talking about just our church, uh, but just churches all across America, the church at large, uh, is poisoned in so many ways with such bad thinking and people who don't really even believe the Bible today, who call themselves Christians, you know. They say, well, it doesn't really matter what the Bible says. It just, you know, matters what I think or what all my friends think. You know, I was talking to this lady the other day, young lady who's living in sexual sin with her boyfriend. And, and you know, I challenged her, look what you're doing is wrong. And she said, oh, I don't think it's wrong. And all my friends, my friends, none of my friends think it's wrong. It's like, whoa! You know, I mean, who cares what the Bible says? Throw it out. Use it for toilet paper. I mean, it doesn't mean anything to this lady, apparently, or to lots of other people. What's more of concern to her is what she thinks and what her friends think. That becomes more real and valid to them than what the Bible And we're talking people who are Christians. Thankfully, not in this church. This is someone else I was talking to uh, who doesn't, who's... I forget what state she lives in and stuff. But make no mistake, in the church at large, there's there's all these kinds of Achans, these guys who uh, either just don't believe the Bible, don't take God seriously, live in all kinds of sins, think it doesn't really matter at all, da 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 And then some of these same people sit around saying, well, how, how can we don't see more miracles? How can we don't see God doing greater things? Well, for crying out loud, I mean, there's so much, you know, poison uh, in the church in terms of sexual sins and lying and cheating and selfishness and stuff. You know, the good news is we teach the word and, and, and keep challenging a bad behavior. The people will repent and the church will get healthier and healthier. And I mark my words. As the church, and I believe God is giving us a time all across America where, where the Spirit of God is raising up men and women to challenge others, to put away this ickiness and start living life right. The more we do this, you will watch, the greater the power of God will be in our midst. The more miracles we will see, the more power, the more people will be coming to God as a revival is uh, uh, being spread out across America. 
The reason we're not having great revival in America. And people pray God revival, which means sending the Spirit of God. Why doesn't God send a great revival and, and people everywhere just by the tens of thousands get saved every day? And Why don't we see that? Like we saw in the book of Acts. Well, I'm telling you, it's because of the sins of Achan that, that affect everyone that's in the church. I think what happens right now is not so much a time of revival in America as a time of repentance. We need as believers in Jesus Christ to really start taking this stuff seriously. Really living out our faith. Not as a, a part of legalism or some you know, prudish, you know, you know, crazy people. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just doing it right. Living with a joyful heart before God without offending God and, and obeying the basic principles of righteousness and, and faith. That's what we need to do. We need it because right now, you know, people say God sent a revival. I say, send a revival to what? I mean, we're such a mess. We need a time of repentance. And if we will really get this right and encourage one another to get this right, man, you watch what will happen. And I pray, uh, I pray I live long enough to see it. You know, that days, <laughs> those days it gets awfully frustrating to me, especially having conversations like I had with this lady. You know, I just think, oh, man. We are such a mess. How long before people will start really turning to God? In the church. I'm talking in the church. You know, I'm not... The pagans don't freak me out so much. You know, they're pagans. I'm talking about Christians. If we can just get Christians to live right, then we can worry about having an impact on the pagans around us. And, ah, uh, how frustrating. I, I pray to God that we will get this right all across the world as people of faith and no doubt in my mind that when we start doing this right, that's when we're going to start experiencing the same kind of things as the generations before us have experienced in faith. Okay? Anyway, so let's go on and find out about Achan here. So, it says, the, ang- the angers of the Lord burned against Israel. Now, something's not right because of this one guy. Okay, now we don't know. Joshua's not aware of it yet. So we read about the next campaign. Now, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. This is the next city they're going to take, the next battle they got to face, which is near Beth-Avon to the east of Bethel. And he told them, uh, guys, go up there and spy out the region. So the guys went up, spied out Ai, okay, just like they came and spied out Jericho to kind of get a logistical feel for the area. And when they returned to Joshua, they said, look, not all the people will have to go up against Ai. This is going to be a piece of cake. We don't even have to send the whole army. He said, just send two or 3,000 guys to take it. And don't weary all the people. There's only a few people. There's not that many guys that even live at this city. It's not that big a deal. Joshua, that was a big yo mama deal. AI, piece of cake. Send a couple of 3,000 people up there. And, uh, uh, and we will we'll win. So, about 3,000 men, verse 4, uh, went up. But they were routed by the men, men of AI, who killed about 36 of them. And they chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Uh, they became discouraged now. All the Israelites, oh man. I mean, because they were, God had been with them. They had had these great victories over on the other side of the Jordan uh, when Moses was still around because they finally started getting it right. Uh, God uh, dries up the Jordan's rivers so they could cross over. They come to Jericho. They march around. The walls fall down. They have this incredible victory. They send these guys over to this and they just get their butts kicked. And the people just, their hearts melted like water. You know, they were, oh. you know, because, you know, it's scary enough what they're doing. Now, now like, where was God? What happened? How, come, how did we fail? 
And uh, it says in verse 6 that then Joshua tore his clothes. You know, they were a very dramatic Eastern culture. Ripped his clothes. They fell down at the face of the uh, face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. So all day they were there. The elders of Israel did the same. They tore their clothes. They're crying out to God. They're sprinkled dust on their heads. Again, you can see this still in Eastern culture. You watch on the news in the Middle East and how dramatic they are throwing dust in the air and all this, you know, strange to us as Americans in the West. But this is very much part of their culture. And this is how they mourn and cry out to God. The Israelites uh, saw, they did this. And Joshua said, Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan River to, to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? God, why did you bring us here? What happened? You know, I mean, quickly, his heart had melted. If only we'd been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Now he's getting dangerous. Because remember, that's what these other guys kept getting in trouble for. Oh, if we'd have just stayed where we were before. Oh, Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they'll surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. Then... Uh, what then will you do for your own great name? And uh, so he's crying out. You know, the, the people will hear that uh, uh, we've been defeated. It'll empower them. And remember, a lot of a lot of psychological uh, stuff in warfare. We see it today, even in in sports. You know, like home field advantage. You know, if, if you know psychologically you have a better advantage than your opponent. We see this in football games and stuff like that. They usually prevail. Why? Because psychology is such a big part of, of conflict and, and challenge. Well, certainly in war, especially in these days. I mean, because they didn't have guns and bombs and technology. I mean, it was just mono e mono, man. You know, me and my your weapons up against you and your weapons. We're going to see who wins. Um, so now they're freaking out and they're crying out to God. And, and, uh, and then uh, I love the next verse. So here they are crying. They're kneeling. They're wailing out to God. And the Lord says to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing on your face? What's the matter with you? Get up! And I'm sure this shocked Joshua. He says, Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them in their own possessions. This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their back and run because they have, made, uh, they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. So he's basically saying, look, this is because of sin. Again, the analogy, people, is so clear here. You can't just live blatantly in sin and disobey God and think it won't matter. You know, people say, gee, Pastor, my life is horrible. How come everything's... You know, you talk about prayer and stuff and, and, and I'm, you know, I'm not having it. Why is that? And then you ask questions. You know, about their lives. And they're just sitting up through their eyeballs. Guys looking at porn and fantasizing and God knows what. Or committing adultery or having sex with their boyfriends or whatever the deal is. Lying, cheating, stealing. And then they wonder, how come God isn't blessing my life? Hello, reality check. God will not bless your life if you deliberately sin against him. And do that which is displeasing in his eyes. It certainly cost these guys, and while it's not quite, you know, this at the same level as today, make no mistake, you start living in a way that is offensive to God, it will keep God's blessings away from you. Now when we come back next week, and I'm hopefully I'll actually be in front of live people who can respond, but uh, um, we're going to pick this up and we're going to talk about uh, what happens here and how they got this right. And then uh, 
you know, see how God then enabled them to move forward once they got rid of this obvious sin that was hurting and damaging them. And again, it's amazing. He says, the Israelites have done this and the Israelites have done that. Remember, it was one guy who did it. One guy made all of them guilty. Uh, again, a very bizarre concept for us to, uh, to uh, think about. But we'll, we'll pick it up again next week and talk a little bit more about this and uh, go on and see what happens as Joshua leads the children of Israel. Uh, a fascinating deception that uh, one of the enemy uh, in, in the uh, countryside pulled on them and made them swear to God that they wouldn't hurt them. And Again, they kept their word. These people took it very seriously when they swore to God. Again, why you shouldn't be swearing to God. Um, uh, how the sun stood still during one battle. Some pretty cool stuff. Some major stuff here. Uh, and uh, it won't take us long to get through the rest of, uh, of, of Joshua. Anyway, okay. Hopefully we're learning some things from the Word. The Bible says that we should learn from what these guys have done. There's lessons here that we apply into our faith today. Okay, we don't quite live like this today. It's a different time, different covenant. It's the New Testament, not the Old Testament. I'd much rather live in the New Testament, thank God, that we're here. But there's lessons here, there's principles, there's things that we can learn in our lives by looking at these guys. And mostly the Bible warns us, don't be like those who made the big mistakes. Because even though the details are different, the fundamental motivations are the same today and can affect us negatively the same today as it affected them negatively uh, so many thousands of years ago. Anyway, God bless you guys. See you all next Wednesday. Amen. Well, right before we take the offering tonight, uh, a lot of wonderful truth uh, being taught from God's Word tonight. Book of Joshua. Phenomenal book. Great book to have the principles of God applied to our lives. And there's two things that I heard that I just want to challenge you with and encourage you with as well that Pastor Mark was saying. And one was just the very fact that when they were told to march around the city and the challenge was that they were to do that, that the children of Israel had to be persistent, had to be obedient. And saying no matter what it looks like, no matter what I think about it, no matter what the people in that city thought about it, I'm responding in obedience to what God has told me. And they came to that seventh day and they were told to shout. And there are many of you, I think, that may be experiencing situations in your life where there's areas in your life, a city, that God is asking you to take. And it may require some persistent obedience. And even a time where you stop and just shout and take that city, take that area in your life, that stronghold, that place in your life. And uh, also, right at the end, they're talking about just, again, repentance. It's a beautiful time of the year, this season that we're in right now, this Lent season and going towards Easter. Time of taking opportunity to just say, God, I want to make sure that I come before you, as the psalmist said, with clean hands and a pure heart. Repent of anything and everything that may, that may still be in my life. I want, to, I, want to, I want to challenge us to do that as individuals. Stop and say, God... Is there anything in my life that you, Holy Spirit, can put your finger on? Because I want to be a man, a woman, clean hands and a pure heart, passionately in love with you, not allowing anything to hinder me being able to follow you. And those around about me, my family, my friends, my church.
Amen. I'm going to invite the ashes if they would come as we just celebrate the Lord with our giving this evening. Father, we thank you for the privilege of giving. Thank you, Lord, that we can generously with open hearts give, give of our tithe, give of our offerings. Lord, maybe giving towards missions, campus development fund. Lord, just giving at this time, at this moment. Because, Lord, it is part of our response and obedience to you. Allowing you to take what is being given tonight, Lord, multiplying it, using it so that we can impact our city. And in a sense, Lord, tonight our giving is one way that we can shout towards our city for you to give us the city, Lord, and the lives of the people, men and women, boys and girls, that do not know you as their personal Savior. That we can, Lord, impact the people around about us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lives may be changed, sins forgiven, people set free. And we give you praise for that, Lord. We give openly and joyously tonight. We give it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.